everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Talking About Podcast. I am Sean Kennedy. With me on the line once again is Liberty Baller's own Dave Early. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad to have you back again because we have some Brooklyn-related news to talk to, and you're always a great person to have on for both the, the Sixers and the Nets' perspectives. So we're going to start off a conversation with the Ben Simmons interview on the Old Man and the Three podcast with J.J. Redick. Um, kind, of, kind of a surprise that Simmons uh, is f- finally out there talking again. It's been been really a long time since we've heard from him. Um, I guess JJ is about as soft a landing as you can get being a guy he has played with and is, is known to be someone that can really come across as empathetic to his, his uh, fellow NBA brethren. Um, so let, let's just start here, Dave. What was most surprising to you? What did you feel? Is there anything that made you feel more sympathetic towards, towards Ben after, after hearing this interview? As far as Sixers fans go, I already was like way heavily on the sympathetic towards Ben. So not, not a ton more. I had, um, I agree with him on some of the points. Like um, I don't think the Sixers handled that summer that well. Like if you read the reporting, piece it together between people like Ramona Shelburne, um, your own Weitzman, I think maybe Jake Fisher reports of that meeting where the Sixers went out there to like Rich Paul's house to pitch Ben Simmons. And, you know, they said like Daryl Morey appealed to the statistics. Look how well you and Joel perform together. And doc like snapped back, like you signed the bleeping contract, man. So I always felt like doc and Daryl weren't quite aligned. And because it was doc who sort of questioned his championship pedigree, whether you agree with Doc or not, you don't want honest, like brutal honesty in these coaches. You know, like Steve Nash just sort of fell in line and said the company line for Sean Marks to make his job easier last year, which contrasted a lot since they pulled off that blockbuster trade. So I agree with Ben that there wasn't all the support that he might have liked. And does that mean he should have asked out? I don't know. What, which, where did you want to go with this question? Because there was a lot of directions we could have went. I just randomly went to that summer. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I, I feel like it kind of hammered home that the the doc relationship was the kind of wedge between Simmons and a, and a happy reunion. So that was that was interesting to me to hear that. It wasn't necessarily surprising because, as you said, that had kind of been the reporting in the past, but it, it definitely expanded upon that and shed some further light on it. Um, yeah, Jake Jake Fisher really put that out there a few times. Like I think yeah. it was October in twenty one. He was like, you know, the doc. Ben thing is strained and then later in the year he was like the Sixers a lot of people thought that the Sixers were going to move on from Doc as kind of a let's get Ben back in the you know in the fold yeah exactly so that that stuff wasn't entirely new but it was good to like hear from Ben in that regard and it my main takeaway was maybe if he'd been more candid about stuff periodically throughout his Sixers tenure people might've been more sympathetic to him as a person. Um, yeah. He was just kind of like this enigmatic presence that like we never really heard from. Yeah. If he had shown us a little more of what he showed JJ, like, you know, JJ asked him, so are you going to shoot threes this year? And he kind of rolled his eyes. and said, Yeah. I'm going to shoot 20 a game, like making fun of the fact that he can't shoot. If he had done a little bit more of that, 
Um, and then, you know, obviously you don't expect a guy to open up about his mental health struggles, but um, just showing us a little bit more, like he did say, like, I got to get my shit together in March of that year. So we did start to think it was right around the time his sister was in the news. So we knew he was going through some off the court stuff, but you know, similar to Sam Hankey, like people want a little bit more so that they don't have to form their own conclusions. And maybe that could have worked for him, but maybe he got what he wanted and that's all that matters for him. Yeah. Um, as far as things that made me feel more sympathetic to Ben, there was, a, there was two that jumped out to me. One, one is minor and just kind of goofy, but when he's talking about the group chats and how he's, he, he, he texts Patty Mills and like, dude, did I accidentally like exit a group chat that I didn't know about? And Patty said, we, man, no one, no one's even talked in the group chat for a month. Like what, what <laughs> there's nothing there. Um, so that just kind of reiterated to me how like brutal people on social media are to, these public figures because yeah that sounds dumb but people are like clowning on ben for an entire day when that first came out and which it seems like there's like no basis to it and so that's kind of like for a person that's going through personal stuff that is kind of serious to just like wake up and see that you're trending and it's because of this like non-thing and everyone's just making fun of you like pretty just really really digging at your character and everything else uh, that, uh that's got to be tough so it's a massive loaded can of worms like you know you've got you've got stuff where there's stigmatization against mental health and Shaq has been sort of an anti ben voice there on tv saying things like i don't understand if you have anxiety why would you wear flashy outfits like that's not what you know so there's that stuff. And then there's the fact that Sixers fans naturally were mad that a player doesn't want to play here. But in the national media discourse, the fact that he held out and cited mental health reasons for holding out, which a lot of people have fairly questioned, like, sure, you have mental health issues, but did that absolutely preclude you from playing the entire time you were in Philly? Maybe not. Maybe, you know, that's what your agent suggested you lean on to get the trade you wanted. And people have fairly speculated on things like that without with, you know, some fans without questioning his mental health, like sure, he has a mental health issue, but could he have played by December? And I think at some point, the fact that he didn't play in Philly for mental health reasons conflated and followed him to Brooklyn so that when he was in Brooklyn and he had a, you know, a severe herniation with nerve impingement at the L4 causing sciatica, people didn't pay attention to that. People didn't pay attention to the fact that he then needed offseason surgery for this ongoing and terrible thing like at one point it was a character assassination to say he doesn't want to play in philly because he's scared of the fans it was much worse for ben because he was going through this mental health stuff and he couldn't play because of you know what to some players has been a career threatening injury that got overlooked yeah exactly so uh, yeah that was never especially from a philadelphians perspective like people kind of never gave the back issues any benefit of the doubt. No. Once that happened when he was in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. Like that's all we heard from, from this end of things. So yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's gotta be hard for, it seems like he was, you know, he, he required surgery. It was a serious thing where his mobility was greatly impacted. So yeah, that, that's hard to not get the benefit of the doubt on that. Um, the other thing, which was kind of a little more, 
major for me as far as feeling sympathetic was when he talked about he came back to practice and he he tried to be a little more uh, open to Doc prior and saying like, "Hey, I'm I'm here, I'm but I'm really not mentally ready to to get out on the court." And he yep. said he said that Doc threw him out there one minute in. Um, so I, I again that kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier with the the fractured relationship with Doc and how you said at the 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 pitch meeting or whatever in, in LA, Doc says you signed the, the believing contract. Um, that's that's kind of the same mentality. Like, well, you're here, I'm just going to throw you out there. Like that's that's what you're here to do. There's no like accommodating um ben in any sense from from doc's perspective and and i mean i'm not saying either side is completely right or completely wrong i mean i'm I'm sure there's some sort of spectrum as far as like how how much responsibility both parties should assume in that but right clearly these guys were not on the same page in any sense and and that was a big factor and that that really bothered me and it still does like Maybe Ben wasn't ready to play. Maybe he was never going to play no matter what. But he he shows up and, you know, if you're Daryl Moore, you have to be thinking, oh, thank goodness. Maybe I get three weeks to work the phone lines with the idea he's going to play. Maybe we get three weeks of quiet. There's probably like four coaches in the league who would have found a way to make a massive scandal headline by kicking him out of a practice. And Doc's one of them. And you know, if you want to defend Doc and say, well, if he's moping around practice, it's going to, the other players don't like it. They're not here to babysit. I get all that. All you have to do is just not make that news. Find a way to just, you know, ignore him for a couple of days. At least he's here. You know, if you wanted to use a really condescending metaphor, you could say like, there's this one toddler who wasn't ready to play with everyone. You don't need to have them like perform center stage the first time they join the group. Just let them be amongst everyone else for a day or two, a week or two, and see if, see if there's an acclimation process. Buy your GM some time to work the lines without like, oh, the Sixers have a big problem because he's haggling over picks. Yeah, that, it seems like that situation could have been handled better for sure. Yeah. Um, but, but then on the flip side, you have Ben staying, saying stuff like, uh, I, was, I was fined because I didn't go to a lift lifting session that was required, but I'm one of the strongest guys on the team. Like that's, that's not the point. Ben. <laughs> like, not the point just, ben. just because you're self-proclaimed one of the strongest guys on the team doesn't mean you're, you can opt out of participation of required uh, team activities. So yeah, then you hear stuff like that and you're like, Oh yeah, he does come, come across as kind of a, a dick a little bit. Um, and it was probably hard to, to handle. And, you know, like, when he's saying I wanted more support, he basically said, I wanted more support from Joel. He's like, you guys were working out in LA. They could have visited me all summer that we know Joel was there. Um, he goes out in July with Hanlon, but you can kind of see why maybe some people wouldn't have wanted to go to him. Like if he, if he did, it would have been maybe above and beyond. If Joel went to see him one-on-one was just like, look, I'm sorry about what I've said post game. Shouldn't have done that. Um, I want you here. Maybe that could have worked. Maybe it wouldn't. You don't feel like Joel had to do that. Um, but you can see some signs in Ben's personality of why Joel may not have wanted to do that. Yeah, even when they were a little bit more, you know, copacetic on the court and everything, and they, they were still never the best of friends. It, it was they were never, hey, we're hanging out. We're so for Joel to to you know go out of his way to to get in touch with him and 
you know, meet with him or whatever, that that doesn't seem like that was something that Joel absolutely had to do. Um, so, what do you I, think about the comments? Like it fucked with him that the fans wanted him to shoot, didn't want him to shoot. So that's that's what I. So, so I was going to ask you: Is there anything that you would have liked JJ to kind of dig into more? And for me, he brought up Brett saying like, "You have I, I, you 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 can shoot like Ben, go out there and shoot." And it, it always sticks with me that Ben hit the shot, hit the three in the game, and then the post game press conference, Brett says, "You like, yeah, he can do it. I I I want him to, sh- to shoot at least one a game." And then Ben went. I forget what it was exactly, but like two months without even attempting another three. So I would have liked JJ to like really say like, what was up with that? Like you shot the three, clearly you were comfortable enough to do it once. Like, why did you just suddenly stop completely for two and a half months or whatever it was? And like, that's, that's what I wanted to hear. Like, I don't, I don't like Ben's, Ben's reasoning was people say I can't shoot, but they want me to shoot. And there's like a disconnect with that. It's like, no, they just, they see you doing it in warmups. Like, they just want to know why you never tried. And if you tried for like two months straight and it wasn't working out in games, like if you wanted to go back to it, then yeah, that makes sense. But you just completely warped the gravity of the offense and your just refusal to even ever attempt them just made it so that people laid off you and it just clogged the paint for everyone else and just made the offense, you know, much harder to operate. So JJ kind of danced around it. And I guess he was just like, he, he was softballing it a little bit because, you know, he's, he's good. For, he's friends with Ben. And he, that was probably kind of like the prerequisite to have Ben come on in the first place. But that that's really where I wanted him to dig in. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the biggest can of worms of all with Ben from a basketball standpoint. And I think I could take a, a more contrarian view on some of what you described, because I think we as fans are projecting a little bit when we say he refused to shoot. I think. If well, he did it like he, you can say he refused to or not, but the fact is he didn't shoot like, and right. it's not like there wasn't opportunities. Like he's literally wide open every game. So uh, if, if you are wide open and you have a coach saying he wants you to, so it's not like it's a strategic decision from the coaching staff that you're like following orders then I don't know how else to phrase it. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm just highlighting the fact that we use refuse with him, but we don't refuse, we don't use that word refuse with other non-shooters, right? Like we wouldn't say Bam's refusal to take threes, blah, blah, blah. So we do do that with Ben, but because I think there's the expectation, you can dribble, you're playing the point, you absolutely should be shooting. But if you just look at his form and if you look at his free throws, it's like, well, I, that's not going to be good. So, I, you know, I think regarding him more like we would regard Montrez, no one's ever going to say Montrez refuses to shoot these open shots because even though he's not going to, even though defenses won't respect him as a shooter, he's not going to shoot him and everyone's totally fine with that. Maybe if, you know, Nets fans probably have something closer to that expectation going into this season. Like, it's not, he's not going to refuse to shoot. He's never going to shoot, just like Nick Claxton's never going to shoot. We're not going to ask him to do that. Yeah, I guess the difference is that Brett said he wants him to shoot at least one a game. Yeah, his coach wanted him to. Like, that's on the record. No, he, Brett, or um, Spolster has never said, I want Bam to shoot one a game. Like, that. I guess that's the difference to me. Yeah, 
And um, you know, some people have said, like, was it Jalen Rose recently said, like, the Sixers shouldn't have ever even put him at point. Like, that's some of that was on the organization. Kyle Newbeck wrote about it. He was like, he wrote a piece. I listened to the whole thing, save you an hour so you don't have to. And I think he said something like, no NBA fan would agree that Ben shouldn't have shot. But I think, I, you know, I might be one of those people who would. I'd be like, I think it might have been better that he didn't shoot because clearly he couldn't shoot. It was years away from being a decent shooter, further than Matisse. Yeah, um, I, I guess it's a philosophic thing <laughs> then. Like, do you want your primary ball handler to be someone that's not going to shoot? Uh, so, yeah. No. Uh, well, regardless, um, before we wrap up the, the Ben portion was there anything i mentioned that was the part i would have liked to hear more about was there anything you you would have wanted to hear them go into more detail or, or for jj to be a little more um exacting of a, of an interviewer yeah i think just generally jj could have been a little tougher but then maybe he wouldn't have gotten the interview in the first place sure but yeah i i understand why it didn't happen but yeah that was just the one that jumped out to me like hey that if you're gonna if you're gonna dance around it, I, I really want to get to the bottom of that. And, and yeah, I want to hear I want to hear what you think you messed up down. You know, what would you do differently in Philly from shooting to the the trade request to the holdout? Are there, are there things that you feel you you messed up and push on that? Yeah, because um, I'm well, defending him. We might I, 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 I just Ben not being like a he doesn't come across as like a person that's willing to take too much responsibility for things it i don't know he kind of deflects a lot whether it's yeah he pointed out like i was guarding the best player but herder yeah. dropped 27 now his own teammates Curry's <laughs> gonna be like bro yeah uh you say so you brought up kyle new piece. He, he mentioned in that that there was a there was a cut in the video <laughs> so they they might have cut out a, a portion if he mentioned seth because seth is obviously still a teammate of ben's in brooklyn so <laughs> Yeah, that was a uh, not tactful, Ben. Yeah, I, I, a simple counter would be literally Joel and Seth were the only people that made field goals in a half in one of those games. <laughs> so even if yeah, he was getting kind of torched by Herder, but uh, at least he was doing something on the other end. Yeah. So, so all right, well, it was regardless of whether we wanted to hear more or whatever else, it was certainly interesting. Um, good to at least hear from Ben. It's been what close to about a year and a half since he'd really been on the record with stuff. That's right. So yeah, good. You could say JJ softball things, but if that's what he needed to do to get the interview, then that's a, it's a good get. Like that's, it was, it was an interesting hour. I thought so. I think I thought what was interesting was he got him to defend himself. And so you knew that Ben wants to, and you knew that he did by reading all those Shams posts over the year. Um, maybe like the, a tidbit here that like, well, Ben never said that Joel struggled in the Toronto series. So you knew that there was a part of him that wants to defend himself. JJ got him to do that. So we did get to see some of that defensiveness. Yep. So, so inter interesting interview. Um, be sure to check it out if, if you haven't listened to it in full. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh the Celtics kind of losing a lot of off season steam for a variety of reasons and also some, uh, some Sixer stuff. So we'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Dave. So I think coming out of the the free agent, the, the first part of free agency, when things had kind of settled down, Boston had to be seen as either the one or the one A in the East, depending on how, how highly you had uh, Milwaukee. Um, got the Malcolm Brogdon trade, which seems like a steal, getting a guy just below all-star tier for, for no guys that were in the main part of your rotation last year. Um, they obviously were in the finals last year, so they they have the we we've seen them have the enough talent to to get to the highest level. But now things are kind of falling apart. You had first uh, Daniel Gallinari gets hurt overseas this summer. Doesn't seem like he's going to be available this this year. Robert Williams arthroscopic knee surgery, so he is out four to six weeks, which. Yeah, he still should be ready by the start of the regular season, but how much is that going to linger? Is he going to be 100%? Like, there, there's certainly some questions around that. Um, and then this week, of course, the Ime Adoka news that he will be suspended for the entire season as there's an investigation into his relationship with a uh, staff member. So we're not going to go into the the actual circumstances of the suspension. Um there, it seems like there's still a lot that people don't know. We don't want to jump ahead and assume things um, before things are known as fact. But let's just talk about what his absence means. Um, so, so Boston, couple, you know, Gallinari wouldn't have been a, a key guy for them, but he, he would have been a really nice tenth man. Um, Robert Williams has been injury riddled a bit in his young career, and and having. Another, this is his second surgery on his left knee now. That's that's got to be a cause for concern. He's kind of a a, a real linchpin of their, their back line of their defense. And then Udoka is someone that really turned things around by implementing his defensive scheme. It's it's easy to forget that Boston was, you know, right around 500. There was talks about Tatum and Brown, like you got to break them up. Uh, and, and then they go on this huge run. They, they eventually reach the finals. Everything just perfectly clicks. Uh, you got to wonder if, if things are not the same with, without Ime there. So Dave, do, I, I guess, how far do you knock down Boston in your, your personal power rankings now, if at all? Um, and what, what are your overall thoughts about the, the Boston momentum coming to a halt here? I think I've already used the phrase can of worms twice, haven't I? So, yeah. A lot of, lot of worms out there. <laughs> there's a lot of worms. Oh, man. Um, it's crazy. Like you said, like it's hard to speculate. 
um, you know, on the specifics of it, but the, from the basketball perspective, it's a big loss. I do think he deservedly was seen as one of the best coaches in the league at this point. I think Sixers made a massive mistake letting him get away from a basketball standpoint. Who knows how it would have played out. Um, but I, I, I go back and I think of Steve Kerr taking over for Mark Jackson. And I think it was like, a pre, was it a preseason or early season injury to David Lee? Yeah. And, where he... and, maybe, and maybe Andrew Bogut. And he was like, there were some signs from the final playoff series with Mark Jackson when they were dealing with some injuries that like Harrison Barnes could, could switch and maybe play some five that maybe Draymond Green could too. And when Kerr inherited that injury slew situation, he tried small ball and all of a sudden, boom, the death lineup. And it was like, is it possible that Ime unlocked something that the next guy can slide in? Cause we have seen Kerr over the years deal with back injuries and Mike, Mike Brown could come in and post some tremendous, you know, 15 and one records or whatever it is. Luke, Luke Walton back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you know, the, the beat reporters out there would point like they're more ISO heavy. Now they're doing more pick and rolls. And in Steve Kerr ran more triangle and that's the difference. But at the end of the day, like they had their formula. So I, I do wonder like, could, could the six, uh, could the Celtics use that formula? They still have Brad Stevens. Who's got a coaching mindset and background in the front office. So, you know, they're analytics heavy, you know, they're going to be watching, you know, they're going to have a lot of input in the way it plays out. Maybe it doesn't have to like completely demoralize them from an on-court standpoint. Now, behind the scenes, culture, are they rattled? Is this weird? Or the, how do the players feel about it? That stuff's really hard to quantify, but I, I think there's a path where they could be all right from an X's and O standpoint in their defensive schemes. Um, but obviously things like Robert Williams would be crushing. Yeah, I guess you, you just have to wonder how much is like plug and play at this point, and how and do you, is is the bus going to head in the same direction? You just need somebody to keep their hands on the wheel, or is this going to kind of like unravel things completely? So I don't know, but I can see going either way. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, the mantra Sixers fans always said was, "This team will go as far as Ben and Joe can take them," and then it was Joe and Harden can take them. And now they're, you know, Celtic Center saying we're going to go as far as Tatum and Brown can take us. But like the more things go wrong aside from your top dogs, the harder it gets. And there's a lot of really, really good teams out there. Yeah, this, especially in the East um, has gotten a lot better uh, this this year. And uh, you, you wonder if there's always been reports that like Tatum and Brown don't have the quite the best relationship. Um, they've kind of tried to dispel that a little bit. And, you know, I, I remember him yelling, like they said, we couldn't play together when they won, they advanced to the finals and everything. Um, so maybe, maybe that's, there's not that much truth to it, but if there's any truth to it, maybe, maybe Ime was somebody that like was able to get them to coexist a little better and just uh, get them to buy in to, to whatever degree that was necessary. Um, yeah. He's and, known and, as kind of a tough love coach, isn't he? Yeah, so it, is is that not going to be there? Uh, you know, we'll see. But as you said, he was one of the most highly regarded coaches in the league, and he at least for one season, he's not going to be at the helm. So that's that's got to be a blow in some sense. So 
yeah, uh, from a from a Sixers perspective, it's it's good to see one of your 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 primary rival and one of the few teams that are probably ahead of you in terms of uh, power rankings to take some take some knocks and come come down off the pedestal a little bit. But yeah, because yeah. there was a point a few weeks ago when you and I are talking about like yeah yeah Tucker's really good yeah House is going to help yeah Melton is a big lift um, but the Celtics were better and got more better by adding Brogdon without losing any key rotation pieces. They didn't even lose Grant Williams to get him. Yeah. Um, they didn't lose Derek White. And then they had a chance to get Kevin Durant. Fast forward a little bit in the summer, they've got a couple injuries. They've got a full-blown scandal. Um, Jackson Frank is already tweeting that the guy that, that's replacing him doesn't have the cleanest history. So it's, it, it's uh, again, there's plenty of worms to go around here between the Simmons and the Celtics stuff. Yeah. So tough, tough break for Celtics fans. Obviously, Sixers fans are not shedding too many tears about it. But <laughs> um, all right, let's talk. Let's talk about the Sixers a little bit, though. Um, Harrison Grimm for Liberty Ballers wrote a piece this week uh, with three spicy predictions for the upcoming season. Uh, I just wanted to. I, th- I thought they were interesting and, and good talking points, so I, I wanted to run them by you. Um, the first one was DeAnthony Melton will be a finalist for the Six Man of the Year. So. Last year with Memphis, Melton finished, and I'm just doing some quick counting, I believe eighth. He finished eighth in the sixth man of the year voting. He received four third, third place votes. I don't know. Do you think there's any legitimate shot of Melton being a sixth man of the year guy? What are your thoughts? I mean, I might, I might bet on him if I got really good odds, like plus 3,300, I think, is what you get. But with guys like I don't know. If, is Harold going to start? Is Harold going to start? I would assume they would keep the same kind of like Tucker's departure wouldn't really slide Hero in. I wouldn't think that that would that would make them really small. So I, I wouldn't think their guard rotation would have changed. Yeah, but, I, I would not. I would not love that. So that's why they're called spicy predictions, and it is a fun one. Um, but I think. I'm a little bit hesitant because he can be a streaky shooter. And we have seen Doc give a quick hook to guys who are streaky shooters. We know Daryl Morey talked about how you have to have a special mindset. Is it possible that the crowd could get on Melton a little bit if he has a few cold games in a row? They did certainly did with Robert Covington back in the day, who's still one of the best 3 and D players in the league and shot a very good percent from three on high volume. But for some reason, the crowd wants you to be extraordinarily consistent and they they do care how you get to your 37% or whatever it is. So yeah. I don't know how that's going to play out. I'd like Doc to not base his playing time on his streak shooting. Because if you look at it from an analytics perspective, the hot hand has been pushed back on by analytics nerds. Like players who have made three in a row are more likely to miss the next one. And players who have missed three in a row are more likely to make their next one. They all regress to the mean and blah, blah, blah. Anyone who's ever played does feel there is a hot hand. Um, but in terms of statistics, maybe we overrate that tendency. Just leave him out there and let's see. Then he'll have a real chance for that six man. Yeah, I, I certainly want him to, you know, I, I don't want him to be a, a guy where Doc puts him in and see if he's hot or not. And that kind of determines his playing time. I think he should be out there regardless because of everything else he brings to the table. Um even if he's, his shot isn't falling on a particular night, he's he's probably their best like point guard defender that they have, and then he's really good at 
off-ball defense as well. And or maybe Matisse would be, I don't know, probably between the two of them. But um, like like Matisse, uh, Melton is also good at off-ball defense, creating creating steals, deflections. Um, so that can help the Sixers with their transition game. And he's super fast. So I, I imagine him and Maxi like streaking down the wings um, for for outlet passes and how that can jumpstart the offense. So yeah, I, I don't I don't think his playing time should be at all determined by the streakiness of his shooting. Um, for me, it just seems like those six man things, you have to average like 16 to 18 points a game. And I don't, I don't see Melton getting there. He's never, even on the second unit, he's never going to be like the lead guy because they're going to stagger Harden and Maxi. So I just, I don't know. I don't see a real path to that. I, I feel like he'll end up kind of around where he was last year. Cause he's kind of playing a similar role in Philly that he was in Memphis. I don't, I don't see it being too much. He might get two minutes per game more than he got in Memphis, but it's not going to be this dramatic jump. Um, yeah, I think you nailed it with the path because to win this award, you're going to have to average those points first, a couple steals, shoot a decent percentage from three. You're also going to have to supplant someone key in a closing lineup routinely. So we're going to need to see some big nationally televised games where he is playing over player X. And who, it's not going to be hard or Embiid. So is it going to be Tyrese Maxey? Probably not. Is it going to be Tobias Harris or is it going to be P.J. Tucker? And if he could play better than Tucker, the veteran, maybe that's his path. If he's significantly better than Tucker in the regular season uh, and fits better in the lineup in a way more similar to Danny Green, where he's bringing perimeter defense and making his 40% of his threes, that, that would be theoretically his path because it's almost impossible to imagine Doc veering away from Toby down the stretch of games um, earning like $38 million in a year, right? Yeah, so it would have to be Tobias, or I'm sorry, not Tobias. Tucker. It would have to be Tucker. Um, and that's so yeah, if, yeah, if he becomes part of like the closing lineup, that could be a few more minutes per game. Yeah, and yeah, but yeah, interesting to think about. Um, next one was Harden will lead the league in assists this year. He was second behind Chris Paul last year, so I think there's definitely, definitely some, a chance of this happening. What, what do you think? I would say that if he has a massive bounce back, he's not as close to Chris Paul on assists, and he's a little bit further up the scoring list because I prefer more of the Harden scoring assassin. If he's leading the league in assists, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Did he prioritize that because he's not beating people off their dribble like last year? Interesting. So you you kind of are – the best-case scenario is that he is not in your mind. That's Absolute peak Harden was not a league leader in assists. A lot of people penalized him for that in 2017 when they gave the MVP to Russ, who averaged a few more assists. And I was thinking, how easily could Harden have averaged – 10 assists if that was his only goal but he averaged the points it took to get them like eight or nine more wins than the thunder that season so you know if he's up there in assists maybe he's not doing some of the things we would really like to see him doing hmm, interesting I, I kind of view it as if he's fully healthy he's he's able to beat his man again but then the help comes and he hits he hits tucker and you know tobias in the corners or whatever and that the assists just come really naturally and he's he's never had a big man as skilled as Joel to be able to get assists in that way. Um and he has he has Trez as a a roller off the bench to get one or two assists just with lobs when when he's leading bench units or uh, so I don't know. I, I I'm not quite as like in your camp that him leading the league in assists would be a bad thing. I I, I feel like 
that's kind of a a fully actualized 2022-23 version of Harden would be more of a, a pass-first guy. And even if he's healthy, I don't view that as a bad thing. But yeah, we'll see. Um, I think the key is that he's healthy and we'll yeah. see where, where the games take him. The, the Sixers have a lot of other scoring options. So whether he's just deferring because that's what's best for the team. Yeah, we'll see. You, I mean, uh, you could be right. He could average 10 assists per game and look like the best version of himself ever. And he's just kicking out to wide open players or hitting Joe for like four layups per game. Yeah. All right. And finally, uh, Trez Harrell will be the best backup big of the Embiid era. So we've seen Dwight Howard. We've seen Andre Drummond. We've seen uh, DeAndre Jordan, who I think would be last on the list. Um, <laughs> uh, where, where would you put Trez in the, in the hierarchy of backup bigs for Embiid? I, I would throw Horford and Muscala's name into the ring a little bit. Um, can we throw Horford? I think they've been yeah, he's, going into the bubble. Yeah, certainly. Um, so, then, so then he's by Amir far. Amir Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> by far the best backup big in the Embiid era is Horford, and that's unfortunate staying on the front office. Um, but after that, I I don't think so. I think I think Paul Reed might be. Uh, yeah, Paul Reed. If if given the shot, uh, I don't I don't know how how much weight you want to put on the two weeks of his his postseason last year because that that seems like that was the the, the really only chance he had at the at the job. Um, yeah, a guy who who could switch I think might offer more than a guy like we've seen we've we've all been through that people saying Dwight Howard he finally it's such a fresh breath of fresh air to see a guy who can rebound Dwight's protecting the rim and then we did the same thing with Drummond. This guy's the best of Joel, and but like those guys are not playoff viable, and we know it all year. So why do we go through the regular season motions with it? Just the best backups of Embiid are the guys that we could win games with in the playoffs against good teams for nine minutes. Yeah, and we finally saw that with Paul Reed, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it plays out if if Doc's willing to mix the match in the postseason this year. But yeah, for the regular season, I don't know if he's the best. I, I feel like. Drummond was playing really well in the role for the Sixers. Um, I'll ha- I'll just see. Ha- I'll have to see Trez up close this year and really to really get more of a feel for it. But um, yeah, I, th- the I think Raptors people were so small. I think Drummond could have looked pretty good against the Raptors. Um, yeah, I agree. But then the next round, I don't know. I I guess he could have matched up with Deadman a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't think it would have been that disastrous an outcome if he until, until they got to face the celtics they were so yeah, lucky that, that would have been tough yep all right dave well this has been a great conversation um appreciate you jumping on once again uh where can everybody find you online at david early on twitter my work at liberty ballers all right i'm also liberty ballers and at philly fast break on twitter um we'll be back next week with another episode training camp will have begun so probably more direct six or stuff to talk about have a good week everybody